if you're new here at Jacob's Well, we just go straight through the Bible. And uh, we want our understanding of God to be conformed to Scripture. And so instead of picking and choosing chapters, we just go straight through the Bible. And right now we're going straight through Genesis, and we come to a chapter that many of you have heard of. And uh, it's my privilege to preach it to you this morning and my fear in the same light because it is an awesome passage for us to undertake. December 10th of 1982, a woman named Pamela Willis was found murdered in an Oklahoma City home. Three years later, a man by the name of Curtis Edward McCarty was arrested and convicted of murder. He had several retrials. Twice he was he was found guilty. Three times he was sentenced to death row. But then in 2002, 22 years after his initial imprisonment, new DNA evidence was found that proved without a shadow of a doubt that he was innocent of the murder in which he had spent 22 years in prison for. The impetus between, between him, behind him being freed is a group called the Innocent Project. They have freed 17 people uh, from prison who have been wrongfully accused, and those people have served over 200 years in jail. And as we look at that and we cringe at those statistics, we wonder, is God like that? Is God just most of the time? You know, does he get it wrong sometimes? Does God unrightfully punish people who deserve grace and mercy and love? Does he, does he unrightfully punish the innocent? And that's kind of what we're going to look at today. If you remember, two weeks ago, we studied Genesis chapter 18, and in that chapter... These angels come on a business trip to earth. Two angels and the Lord. And they come, first off, to reassure Sarah that she will have a child at the age of 90, the promised child. But they also come to reassure Abraham that God will act justly towards Sodom. Abraham asks the Lord. He says, let me find it here. He says in verse 18, 20, chapter 18, verse 23, he says, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And so we see God carrying out his justice, his judgment, but also his salvation as he approaches the city of Sodom. If you would open up to Genesis chapter 19, uh, it is a long passage today, and so try to track with me. We're going to read the whole chapter. And so, if you are in the Red Bible, I believe it's page 17, is that correct? Page 13, okay. Genesis chapter 9, 19, page 13 in the Red Bible. This is God's Word. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. 
Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law, to be jesting. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But, they, but he lingered. So the, the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, O oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me, and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? and my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord of out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But the Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills which, with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring for our father. 
So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with them, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Let's pray. God, as we come to this text, sometimes we wish there were parts of the Bible that weren't there. And yet it seemed good to your Holy Spirit to put this passage in your word through Moses, both for the people exiting out of Egypt, but also for us today, God. Lord, let us see the stern warnings of this passage and let us rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would guide our hearts this day. In Christ's name, amen. You know, I find it funny that the angels had to come down to earth to investigate Sodom. God knows all things, right? God is everywhere. Nothing is hidden from God. And so why did God send the angels? It was to make sure that Abraham knew and that we know that God is just. He never punishes the innocent. He is careful in his judgment. But he is also glorious in his salvation. We're going to look at four parts of this passage today. First, why judgment? What is the reason for God's judgment on Sodom? Is it a just judgment? The second is how judgment. How does God carry out his judgment towards sin? The third is how salvation. How was Lot saved in this scenario? And fourth is why salvation. What is the basis for Lot's salvation? So we will look through those things today. Why judgment? How judgment? How salvation? And why salvation? Let's first look at why judgment. Just to kind of paint the picture for you. So the two angels leave Abraham, the Lord ascends back into heaven, and the angels come to Sodom. And as they come to Sodom, they meet Lot at the entrance to the city. And Lot encounters him and says, why don't you come and stay at my house? And they say, no, 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 we want to stay in the town square. right? We want to fully investigate this city. We want to know this city. Now Lot knows better. Lot knows the wickedness of the city, and he says, no, I think you should come with me, right? It's like I grew up in St. Louis in the suburbs, West County. And if, if I had friends come through town and say, you know, we're camping in this place called East St. Louis. It's going to be fantastic. I'd say, no, no, why don't you just come stay at my house tonight, right? That doesn't seem too wise. And so that's what Lot's doing. He says, come to my house. And he convinces them to go to his house and to stay the night. And they join together and they eat a wonderful supper. They fellowship and as they're getting ready to go to bed, something horrible happens. You can read about it here in verse 4 with me if you want. It says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man, 
surrounded the house. Look how emphatic this is, that all the men of the city came out, both young and old. So these are grandpas, and these are kids in elementary school, high school, junior high. All of them come out. This is such a sick and twisted thing. Look what they do. Verse 5, it says, And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. How weird is this? Fathers and sons finish dinner and say, let's go out to Lot's house. Let's get every all the guys in town, let's go out there and let's do this homosexual gang rape towards these men who are new to town. What a twisted and perverse and sick city Sodom was. And that's what's happening here. Lot begs them not to be wicked. What, what is the wickedness of these men? Well, there, there are several things here. The first is this. We'll spend a little bit of time. Homosexuality is a sin against God. You know, many times we don't like to call sin sin because we're categorized as judgmental or hurtful or arrogant. But it's not us that calls homosexuality a sin. It is God who calls homosexuality a sin. And we see it throughout Scripture. Leviticus 18.22, I believe it will be up here as well. It says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And then in the New Testament, we see it again. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. You know... When we call sin, sin, many times people say, you are just so judgmental. And this is the very thing that they said to Lot. They said, who is this foreigner that comes into town? Is he now judge of us? But sin is sin. Homosexuality is sin. And just like any other sin, it is punishable by death. And like any other sin, there is grace and forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ. But it is sin. Their wickedness also was further. They wanted to come and rape these men. They were violent. They were angry. They were mobbing. They were uncontrolled. And it was absolutely wicked. And so we see why judgment. It's because Sodom was extremely wicked to its very core. All of the men came out of the city. And then we go on to see what God's judgment looks like. This is later down in verse 24 through 28. Read along with me. It says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire. In the King James Version, it's translated brimstone and fire. You've probably heard that phrase, right? Brimstone and fire preacher. Right? Today, I'm a brimstone and fire preacher because the text is a brimstone and fire text. It says, brimstone and fire came down from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. What a graphic picture of God's judgment of sin. The suddenness and the severity of God's judgment to those who live 
a perverted lifestyle, to live apart from God. It reminds me of a time when I was in junior high, when I went, maybe you've heard of this place, Pompeii. Uh, it, it was covered by Mount Vesuvius in about 79 AD, I believe it was. But as you go to this town that has been excavated by archaeologists, one of the things that happened is as they were excavating, they found these air pockets. And what the air pockets were was where the soot came down, covered people who had died by the volcano, and they, they, there were these molds, and so they would inject plaster in there and then bring out these molds of people and they'd set it out, and this is a huge tourist attraction today. But, but this is kind of what happened, that, that brimstone and fire rained down on Sodom. And, and I can't help but think there's a major difference between Pompeii and Sodom. Pompeii is still around. Sodom is completely gone. It is completely annihilated because God takes sin seriously and he punishes sin as it is due. The scariest part of this judgment of Sodom is that it is only a shadow of a judgment that is to come. You know, this wasn't the first time God judged sin. We saw it in Noah's time when God flooded the earth, but it's also not the last time that God would judge sin. We read about this in Luke chapter 17. It says, Likewise, just in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. In other words, they were having ordinary days, ordinary business, going about their life, expecting nothing to happen. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And then catch this. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus will return on an ordinary day. You might be drinking your coffee. You might be sitting at your desk at work. It could happen before this sermon is finished. It could happen any time. We have no idea. It will come very suddenly. It will come unexpectedly. Jesus is going to return, and the wrath of God is going to come down on sinners. And as, as sudden as that punishment was on Sodom, and as severe as that punishment was on Sodom, the punishment on us is even greater. We might say, yeah, God, go get Sodom. It was a wicked city. Take it out. The punishment fits the crime. But God says there is even a greater sin than Sodom with a greater punishment that comes along with it. Matthew eleven twenty talks about this. Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 23, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. It will be more tolerable for Sodom than for you. It will be more tolerable for homosexual gang rapers than for you. If you do not repent and turn to Christ, if you do not repent of your sins and turn to Jesus, your punishment will be more severe than that which comes to Sodom. The judgment is sudden. The judgment is severe. The judgment is horrific. And you may say, boy, this is really scary. It is scary. 
That's the point of the passage, that you would see the severity of your sin, that you would see the suddenness and severity of God's just judgment upon you. But that it would not keep you there. That it would turn you to the salvation that God offers. Let's look and see how Lot is saved. We see two ways that Lot is saved here. And in both ways, we see God being the initiator, the angels being the initiator in the salvation. First, when Lot goes out to try to protect his house, protect the men, we see that as they are pressing up against him, as they are attacking him, it says in verse 10 that the men, the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They dragged Lot into the house as he got in over his head. But then later down we see, as the angels go and they say to Lot, go tell the people, tell your family to get out of this town. It is urgent. Go, leave, go, leave. Lot waits till the next morning. (laughs) Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. He's saying, Come on, let's go, let's get out of here, let's go, let's go, let's go. Punishment is coming. Verse 16, But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out of the city to set him outside of the city. They dragged him away from the destruction of sin into a place of salvation. By his mercy and his grace, he did this to Lot and to his wife and to his children. You may have been dragged here today. You may have not expected coming here today. Maybe your spouse dragged you or your parents dragged you or maybe your roommates or your friends dragged you here today. It is by the mercy of God that God has dragged you here today. It is a divine appointment with God that you would know the judgment for sin, but that you would be saved this day, that you would turn to Christ, that you would not suffer the consequences for your sin. And so how does salvation come to Lot? It comes by God dragging stubborn Lot through his mercy to a place where judgment and justice does not fall on him. Finally, why salvation? When we look at why was Lot saved, it's kind of helpful to say what were not the reasons that Lot was saved. What what weren't the the things that he did that saved him? Well, we, we know that Lot was not particularly an honorable man in many ways. We know that he was not a generous man. He was a greedy man. That's why he ended up in Sodom. We know that Lot was not a courageous man. As he stands outside his house, he says, hey, I have two daughters. Take them, please, right? Like, this is not a courageous man. He doesn't offer lay down his own life. He says, take my daughters. They've never known anyone. Take them and leave us alone. We also know he was not a willing man, as we talked about. God had to continually drag him towards salvation. But we also know Lot was not a moral man. When we look at the last eight verses of this passage, we see that Abraham, at the very least, was an alcoholic. But he was also incestuous in his family. Things that he did would land him in prison, even today in America. And so it wasn't because Lot was a moral man, or a good man, or a courageous man. Then why was Lot saved? from the judgment of God, the judgment that he deserved. And the reason is, is because Abraham had an intercessor. 
Abraham had an intercessor. Verse 29, look with me if you would. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered who? Abraham. That's weird. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the city in which Lot had lived. It doesn't say God remembered Lot and saved him. It says God remembered Abraham and saved Lot. Why is that? Well, you may remember just a chapter prior, Abraham is interceding for the city of Sodom. And we certainly would think that Lot would have in mind his own nephew, Lot, who he traveled much of his life with. And God remembers the intercession of Abraham. And because of that, saves Lot out of destruction, out of judgment, out of sin. Because of the intercession of Abraham. And the question we are left with today is, do you have an intercessor? Do you have one that intercedes for you that you might not feel, that you might not endure the judgment and wrath of God? And the glorious answer is yes. We do have an intercessor who sits in heaven for us. Romans 8.34 says this, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You see, the key to joining this intercessor, the key for this intercessor is your repentance of sins, that you would repent and trust in God, that you would turn to Him. Jesus is our intercessor. And not only is He our intercessor, He is our mediator who came to earth, lived the perfect life that we should have lived, but then took on our immorality, took on our cowardice, and then at the cross suffered the fire and brimstone that we deserve. Fire and brimstone far worse than what Sodom endured. And he did that for us, that we might no longer experience the wrath of God, but the loving grace of God all of our life and for all eternity. We experience the love and salvation of God because Jesus is still interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25 says this, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you know that Jesus is constantly interceding on your behalf? Saying, God, you cannot judge them according to their sins because I have paid the price. You must treat them according to my righteousness. And because Christ has interceded for us, we have this beautiful privilege to intercede for others. This came about just the other week. I was, uh, it was a Wednesday, and I was around the house, and I received a phone call from Kim Johnson. And Kim says, hey, would you please be in prayer for me? Because I'm going to talk to this girl who is set to have an abortion. And I said, yes, I'd love to pray for you. Pray for the girl. Intercede for that unborn child. And so we sent out the prayer to the prayer chain. And the prayer chain gathered and interceded for this child in prayer. Later that afternoon, I get a phone call back from Kim. And she's tearing up saying, it was amazing to see God work. This woman was set on getting an abortion. And something happened midway through where she flipped and said, I'm going to keep this baby. God uses us to intercede for others 
Not because we're great, but because Christ has interceded for us. What a privilege it is to intercede for those around us. You know, there are many who are not here today, do not hear this warning of Sodom and Gomorrah, who are headed to a destruction worse than Sodom. We are called to intercede for them in prayer and point them to the ultimate intercessor, Jesus Christ. That they too could experience not the wrath of God, but the love of God for all eternity. Today we looked at a very heavy passage, a very difficult passage, but a passage that is true to reality. It is a warning of the impending judgment of God, His just judgment towards sinners like us. And the question is, how will you respond to this warning today? If you're here today and you're investigating Christianity, if you're not sure if you trust in Christ for your salvation, how will you respond to this today? Will you be like Lot's wife, who loved Sodom too much, she loved the world too much, that she could not turn away and follow God? Or will you be like Lot's sons-in-law, When Lot came and warned him, as you are being warned today, of the impending judgment of God, they thought it was a joke. They didn't take it seriously. Maybe they thought, you know, I'll deal with that when I'm older. This is no joke. The judgment of God is coming, but there is salvation through a mediator, Jesus Christ, who took on our sin, who took on our fire and brimstone, that we might be saved. We're going to take a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper here and prayer and worship. But I just want to do this. Usually I go outside and say hi to you all. I'm just going to stay up here after the service because this is a heavy, heavy word from God. And if you're uncertain of your salvation, if you're uncertain of what your state is when Judgment Day comes, I encourage you to fight across the embarrassment, fight across the crowd, the awkwardness. Come up and talk to me. Let's know that we know that we know that we are not found in our own sin, but that we are found in the righteousness of our mediator, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, today we have read a passage that is a stern warning. Lord, you give it to us, not because you hate us, but because you love us, God. You want to let us know what we are destined for, God. If you withheld it from us, we would be mad at you. And so, God, thank you for the warning that you give to us in this passage today, Lord. And, God, I pray that as we consider what it is, the judgment that Sodom endured, that we deserve far worse than this, God, far worse for all eternity. Thank you for your intercessor, Jesus Christ. We pray that if anyone here does not know you today, if they have not been found in Christ, that today they would trust in Jesus Christ, that they could know the love and grace of God for all eternity. And I pray that we would be a church that continually intercedes for our neighbors and our co-workers and those around us, that they too might know not your judgment, but your love. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.